Hi, I'm Greg Turner. I was a professional golfer. I guess I still am. The game's a strange game. Sometimes, out of adversity, things can go pretty well. Welcome to Worst Toll, the podcast that majors on disasters. I'm Michael Barron, your host. This is dedicated to all golfers who have had a bad hole. Double figures bad. However, you are not alone. We asked some of the world's best what was their worst hole. And does throwing clubs and swearing ever help? This week, member of the European Senior Circuit and golf architect, the philosophical New Zealander, Greg Turner. It's the worst hole, worst hole in the world. So casting my mind back, um, I'm sure there were lots of calamities on the golf course, and I conveniently managed to um, to dismiss most of them from my memory. <laughs> Greg, take us through your memorable high-scoring Spanish odyssey. And I wasn't even going to go and play in, in, in New York. And I'd been a bit lax. I'd been the fishing had been good, and I sort of, you know, I, I'd done very little preparation back in New Zealand. So, but I thought, oh, well, um, sometimes I'm reasonably good when I'm fresh. So crack into it. So I thought I'd better get down there Monday so that I can at least get some work done on Monday and then so I can have a full day Tuesday, full day Wednesday before the tournament starts. The travel agent I used over there was uh, said to me, oh, he said, the Tuesday morning flight leaves at 5.30, so um, if you want to go Tuesday morning. So so I thought, oh, well, you know, gosh, if I leave it then, I'll be in it sort of, I'll be at the golf course nine o'clock in the morning anyway, so there's no, you know, what he neglected to tell me, it was via Barcelona with a four and a half hour layover. And uh, so... <laughs> So I got to New York at sort of three in the afternoon. It was still early. You know, I think it was, from memory, it was sort of, you know, what it was, it was near the end of March. So not a lot of daylight, sort of dark at 5.30 at night or something. And, and by the time I got organised, it was only about an hour. I had a few balls, never got a chance to get on the course. And then the next day, there was Pro-Am Day. And I wasn't in the Pro-Am. Uh, and the Pro-Am was full and the practice fairway was pretty, uh, a pretty small practice fairway. It was very hard to get on it. And, yeah, to cut a long story short, I mean, I played, I think I got nine holes played and I got about an hour on the range. I mean, it was about as, as appalling a preparation <laughs> as you could ever imagine. But the first hole was a pretty easy starting hole and I had a terrible tee shot, I remember, and, and I sort of had to chip it out of the trees and then I had it on the green and I had it on the wrong tee and then I four-putted. And I thought to myself at the time, I thought, well, what do you expect? You know, you don't deserve, you don't deserve anything more, you know. And I sort of scratched it round. I, I remember that day I played just terrible, but I somehow managed to kind of, you know, I didn't hit it in the club face much, but I didn't hit it in the, in the bush either. And I sort of, I got it around in 74, a couple over, which was considering how poorly I was playing and how ill-prepared I was and that I made that quad or triple or whatever it was on the first hole, it was actually sort of a semblance of, um, you know, I didn't feel too bad about it. We went to our restaurant and had a, uh, and had, had a nice, nice bottle of red and... Uh, Came out the next morning and, and I played a little bit better and I made a couple of putts and all of a sudden I shot 65. Back to the restaurant, another nice bottle of red. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I shot 67, 68 on the weekend and ended up winning by two. So um, it was extraordinary to think, you know, looking back and, and at the time sitting around on Sunday night and the Monday going, wow, you know, you know what's to learn from this? You know, it's not that being lazy is a good thing. <laughs> But probably that you know when you when you when you when your perspective is when you when you've removed sort of expectation when you're just trying you know you're not burdened by that uh, perhaps that's a you know if you can try and replicate that sort of feeling a bit more perhaps that's a good way to try and play. What was it like having two older brothers who both represented New Zealand in sport, Brian, in field hockey and Greg in cricket? You know, if you were a Turner and you excelled at sport, that was it. <laughs> uh, and Glenn was kind of our first real professional, I suppose. Mm. Um, 
And his attitude was, he's still, I think, um, one of the most uh, professional uh, uh, in terms of his attitude to the game, you know, that I've ever come across. You know, and and um, he was completely dispassionate about things. And, and, you know, there was a hell of a lesson in that. Yeah, you know, he's sort of 15, 16 years older than me. So, I mean, it was... Um, you know, I joke about it sometimes. It wasn't like I had two brothers. I had three fathers, really. So you won a scholarship to the University of Oklahoma, but when you turned pro in 1984, why did you opt to play in Europe rather than the US? You know, when you're playing in Madrid one week and then you're in Paris the next and you're in Stockholm the next and you're in Rome the next, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff away from the golf course. Um, yeah that you can go and do to take your mind away from it. And also in those days, you know, mid eighties, late eighties, early nineties, you know, it wasn't nearly as homogenous, like I guess as it is now in the sense that, you know, there are lots of places you go where English wasn't broadly spoken. So you can't, you know, and, and where you, you know, the cultures were noticeably different. Um, you know, there wasn't a McDonald's on every corner. There was uh, you know, you had to work your way through menus that, you know, and that was, that was kind of fun um, uh, as well. And, and it was at a time when, you know, the, 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 the sort of Iron Curtain was breaking down and we were starting to play in, you know, I mean, we, we played, um, you know, the Czechoslovakian Open. I mean, you know, when I was first in you said in a few years' time, you'll be playing in Prague, you know. <laughs> it's like, really? You know, the golf course, you know, we would be in East Berlin. Uh, so it was pretty exciting. And at that time, also, golf in, in Europe was really sort of on a huge growth curve. You know, the likes of Seve and Langer had really um, sparked the European interest in the game. So clearly one of your highlights would have been the 1998 President's Cup, the only time the international team have ever beaten the United States. And that was played at Royal Melbourne in Australia. But you had no idea you were even in the team. So the phone, phone hadn't rang, so I just thought, well, yeah, I'm, it sounds like I missed out. So um, we went out to dinner at this Irish pub in Atlanta. And I, we were there, I was with a, a wife and, and Andrew Coulter, a Scottish golfer and his wife. And about nine o'clock, the barman came over and he, he said, are you Greg Turner? And I went, um, yeah. He said, uh, well, there's a phone call for you. Um, <laughs> and it was like, oh, really? Um, and it was Graham Skellum from the Sunday Star Times. And he had somehow tracked me down to an Irish pub in Atlanta. <laughs> That's um, good journalism. Yeah, work. yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, those are sort of obviously, I guess, pre cell phone days, or pre certainly pre the sort of you know the sort of use of them now. And um, yeah, so I, he said, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get in a comment from you on the Presidents Cup team. I said, oh, who did he pick? <laughs> and he sort of he couldn't. He was like, well, you, you you're trying to tell me you don't know. I said. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but again, I, you know, I left. I assumed I assumed I would have got a phone call beforehand if uh, if it was going to be me. So um, I'm assuming it's not me. And anyway, so then he sort of told me. So we um, and I went and then yeah, you know, wow, okay. And uh, we had a good chat and then went back and I I came back with a bottle of champagne to the table. And you and Frank Nobolo were first up. That must have been a a nerve wracking first day. And this chant went up, and all the Australians were chanting, Kiwi, Kiwi, Kiwi. I thought, gosh, we haven't had that much support from the Aussies since Gallipoli. <laughs> <laughs> Got to shake hands with Jack Nicholas, Peter Thompson, um, John Howard, and George Bush. Wow. Um, then they called you up, and I was the first to hit. <laughs> so uh, I've never been quite so happy to see a ball get airborne and go in the general direction. <laughs> 
So you had a pretty young family while you were on the European tour. How did you balance being a dad with being a being a touring professional? You know, once the kids got to school age that we were going to be uh, based in New Zealand, I wasn't going to be traveling. Um, again, trying to, you know, one of the things about playing pro-ams, um, the pro-ams associated with the tournaments um, throughout Europe is, is you, you end up playing with a lot of people that have been very successful in various things, you know, you know, other athletes through the years. I played with a, played with a guy who had been a, you know, gold medalist shot put of German German guy, gold medalist shot put of won six world championships. I've, I've played with you know one of the great. I'm trying to remember his name. One of the great downhill skiers of all time, Franz Klammer, and captains of industry, if you like. You know, a lot of people that have been really successful in in all sorts of things. And, and one of the universal things about it is when when they, when they found out you had you you, know, you were married or you had children, that every single one of them uh, to a man would it would sort of say to you. Well, you know, if they had their time over, they'd have spent more time with their kids. <laughs> Nobody ever said, ah, you know, I wish I'd spent less time with my kids. <laughs> it's just not what you did. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of thought to myself, well, it would be kind of, you know, if it's that universal an opinion, um, then it would be kind of, you'd be kind of stupid not to not to listen. And, and probably in the back of my mind, I felt like by then, you know, I'd probably be, I'd be about 40 by then, that, that the game it would have probably thrown me um, you'll be like, you would have thrown me out anyway. You know, the game's pretty uncompromising. <laughs> that uh, you're not, your your hands aren't in the fate of the selectors. In fact, I went three years when I stopped. I had three years where I didn't have a single golf shot. Never three set years. foot, uh, never set foot on a course with a club. <laughs> and I thought I'd never play again. Then we started opening some golf. Um, you know, I'd got the, I'd been fortunate enough to get the job at Millbrook to build a new, what was then a new nine holes at Millbrook. And my business partner sort of said to me, you know, you do realise when we start opening golf stuff, you know, they're going to want you to, you know, they're going to want you to play. So, <laughs> go on, open your house. I thought, oh, maybe I better, I guess. I'll never forget, actually, we went out, we went out at Millbrook and, and played what's now, what's known as the Arrow Nine. And the first hole there's a par five. And I literally this is after the three-year break, is it? This is, I literally hadn't had a golf shot in three years. And I um, stood up on the tee there and I made a couple of practice swings and thought, well, that feels pretty odd. <laughs> <laughs> but I had, I had a shot and I, and I went up the middle. It didn't, you know, it didn't, um, I won't uh, pretend it went a long way, but it went pretty nicely, you know, straight up the middle. And then I and I hit a fairway with a three wood straight at the green. It finished about 15 feet from the hole, and I knocked it in for eagle. <laughs> 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 and I thought, wow, I've definitely been worked way too hard during my career. But anyway, it all turned to custard after that. But um, so yeah, I started playing a little bit again, and then my son got really interested in the game. I mean, really interested. So I kind of get, you know felt like, well, I need to go and play with him a little. So we started playing a little bit together. And and, uh, and then then when I got to, or I was getting near 50, Peter Fowler, who was a great mate of mine, said to me, you should come and play the seniors too. You're playing great. I said, oh, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not going to go and qualify and go through all that sort of stuff. And uh, he said, no, you'd be exempt, which I hadn't even realised. You know. <laughs> so really, he said, yeah, you're the top 50 on the career money lists, first category exemption. Uh, he said, you'll be exempt for for years. Again, I went in there with kind of no expectation and actually played, you know, performed reasonably. Well, I didn't disgrace myself often, hmm. should I say. <laughs> you, you, you made a few cuts, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I played, I played all right. You know, I only play five or six tournaments a year. The received wisdom is that if you stop playing and then you only play a few tournaments a year, you'll be, you won't be able to compete. But I always quite like the idea of challenging perceived, <laughs> received wisdom. 
Um, drives my mates nuts over there when I come over and don't make an idiot of myself. <laughs> so, I mean, I, had a, I think I had a third last year in one event. And, yeah, I had a few top tens. And so I've just kept doing it, really. Um, you know, with the design business, all I, you know, I need to be around when we're finishing stuff on site. Well, we're not doing that through winter. Obviously, you work to sort of seating windows. So there's no particular reason for me. You know, I'm, I'm my email address and my cell phone number, really. I'm, uh, I can be just as productive in a hotel room in Switzerland as I can in, in July as I can be in, in, in snowy Queenstown. You've played lots of the world's top courses. What's your favourite at the moment? I'd say Tarahiti's as good as anything in the world. Tarahiti's about a 90-minute drive north of Auckland City. So there's only fairway and sand. There's nothing else. There's no bunkers. They're not classified as bunkers. You can take a practice swing. You can... You can putt out of a lot of them if you want. But, you know, the thing about it is, is you can, I think the most fun you can have almost there is, is and Jack and I do it and my wife do it, but you go out with a half set. And, and initially my son really resisted that, right? He's, he's going like, you know, you want, you know, it's, it's like, you know, this is an eight iron shot and I don't have an eight iron. You know, it's like, well. And now, and, I, and, I, and even the boys in the pro shop now, their most fun is in the evening is go out with a half set. And, and it's, you know, so we're going to take seven clubs, including a putter. And there's, a, there's always a way that you can play every hole there. You know, there's always banks you can use. You can, you can chase the ball from everywhere. You can, you know, you, know, you can quite often, you can hit a shot at 30 degrees to, to the angle that you, that you wanted to go in, you know, from, you know, I'm talking about from, you know, within 100 yards. And, and you can find a way to get the ball close to the hole. So, I mean, it's just endless fun. You know, that's the sort of intrigue. And, you know, the pin moves five yards and it's a completely different hole. And Greg, finally, what about some words of wisdom for the amateur playing this at times frustrating game that can break the toughest hearts and strongest clubs? You know, I don't remember most of the bad holes. And I think that that's a, uh, and I must have had them. You know, I'm sure I've ever had double figure numbers, but I absolutely have no recollection. And, and I suspect that that's, a, you know, that's just the way my mind works. And perhaps, you know, it's useful to put those sort of memories <laughs> <laughs> out of your head. I don't think there's much advantage in remembering the really shitty stuff. So I don't know whether I've either just, uh, you know, with, yeah, I think that's a subconscious thing, but perhaps it's, perhaps it's actually been a good mechanism to deal with <laughs> adversity. Thanks, Greg. That's sound advice. And thanks to you for listening to Worst Hole. I'm Michael Barron, and we'll be back very soon with more high score confessions. Enjoy your golf wherever it may take you.